Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Life Coach Zach Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Rance, certified life coach, certified nutritionist, mental health advocate, meditation master. No, not really, but thanks so much for stopping by. I hope that you guys get a ton of value from each and every single episode. I like to bring extremely powerful uh, leaders of their industries on each and every single episode, whether it's a doctor, nutritionist, um, coach, leader, I, whatever it is, I, I want to make sure that not only are you guys learning, but that I'm learning. You know, at the end of the day, I'm doing this podcast, not just for you guys, but I'm doing it for myself. And all these conversations that I have with every single person I just named um, is helping me get better. And it's helping me step into the greatest version of myself. And I just hope I can pay it forward to you guys through these deep, powerful conversations. Thanks so much for stopping by. And I uh, hope you have a wonderful day. Good energy. What's up, everyone? I'm here with Dr. Sean Baker. You might have seen him on the Joe Rogan podcast. You might be familiar with Meet RX or possibly read his book, The Carnivore Diet. Uh, Dr. Sean is very passionate about how meat is very important to our diet, and he's also a fasting coach. And I'm here to talk to him about a lot of nutrition stuff. Dr. Sean, how are you doing today? Uh, Zach, I'm doing well, man. It's good to be joining you and joining your audience. Thanks for letting me have this opportunity. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And uh, I want to say thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on here. Um, it's not every day that you get to talk to someone who is so passionate about meat, especially these days. A lot of whole food, plant-based diet things are extremely, like they just trend a lot and everyone's on on the vegan trend. But tell us more about why the carnivore diet could be beneficial to some people's lives. Well, I mean, I don't discount the fact that people can get better on a whole variety of you know different dietary schemes, particularly when it comes to weight loss. I think there's many, many ways to do that. We see that clearly. Um, you know, when, when you go on a meat-based diet, you know, you generally eliminate a lot of just unhelpful things. I mean, you know, whether it's processed, ultra-processed food, refined carbohydrates, uh, you know, some of these uh, you know, kind of industrial-based seed oil products, uh, you know, the, the high amounts of sugar, that's, that's completely eliminated. There's really no way to sneak junk food in there for the most part. Now, people, people would say, well, there's fat and there's cholesterol and there's saturated fat, but I, I think that's uh, very much misunderstood or misinterpreted uh, data and science. Um, you know, it's very easy to, it's, it's easy to plan for. There's not a lot of thinking you have to do on this. There's not a lot of calculations you need to do. Uh, it's generally most people like it. You know, I think people fail on diets when they are, you know, either constantly hungry or they don't like what they're eating. And so uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of benefits that, that occur from, you know, and it's also relatively high in protein. And I think most people, there's some people that seem to think protein's a problem, but most people would say that protein is a generally beneficial macronutrient. You know, it's more of a structural-based uh, component as opposed to fat and carbohydrates, which are purely energy-based. And so we have some significant built-in advantages when we go higher protein. So there's a whole host of reasons why it helps. Now, obviously, there's a stigma about eating meat, particularly red meat. Uh, but that is, again, based on largely epidemiologic studies, which don't actually demonstrate anything. They show some patterns, but those are just merely hypotheses, which have to be proven. So far, those hypotheses have not been proven at all, at least uh, to any significant degree. I mean, you know, we have this belief that 
you know, saturated fat is bad, but then when they do studies looking specifically like randomized control trials, looking specifically at either saturated fat or red meat or something similar, they don't get the outcomes they expect. So, uh, what, and, and also, you know, if we look at the standard American diet, which most people would, uh, would willingly say is, is, is a bad diet. You know, we have so much disease that results in that. Remember the standard American diet is largely plant-based something like 70, 75% of our calories come from plant sources. You know, the, the remaining calories come from, you know, animal products and, and much of that is dairy. And so the average American's not eating much meat. In fact, despite the fact that our reputation is we eat a lot of meat, for instance, beef, the average American eats around two ounces a day, which is a, just a abysmal amount. You know, we were eating, you know, almost double what we eat now back in the 1970s prior to the epidemic of obesity, heart disease, you know, diabetes and so on and so forth. And so uh, when we look at people that just eat meat, you know, and, and basically nothing else or very little health, else, instead of becoming sick, obese, you know, diabetic, they get healthy. They come off medications. They you know, get rid of their diabetes, they get rid of their, and, and what's really interesting and unique is we see these people with these sort of autoimmune issues, uh, these chronic digestive issues, these, uh, you know, these inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's disease and also colitis, mood disorders, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, even PTSD. All these people are seeing significant improvements by changing their diet to a meat-based diet. Yeah. Uh, and, and now it's in the order of tens of thousands of people. Have done this. I've got you know, literally thousands of testimonials at this point. Uh, there are studies that are starting to be done on this, so it's 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 exciting to be part of. That is very exciting to be part of. You're almost like the pioneer of uh, the carnivore diet, <laughs> no pun intended. But um, yeah, I I want to ask you a few questions about the difference and the similarities between red meat and chicken. Okay. So I've spoken to a few other professionals, whether they're nutritionists or doctors, and. A lot of people say to avoid chicken and eat grass-fed beef. Why is that? Well, for one, red meat is a little bit more nutritious. You know, you know, we look at the overall nutrient composition. You know, red meat has some things in greater amounts that chicken does. You know, heme iron. You know, be some. You know, carnitine, carnison. Uh, some of these other products that are healthy and that are healthy in meat tend to be there. Um, you know, when you look at grass-fed beef, you can look at the omega-6 to omega-3 profiles and see there's more omega-3. Uh, you know, chicken is a monogastric organism, which means they have one stomach, whereas ruminants, particularly cows and uh, sh uh, sheep and deer and, and many other wild game animals, are ruminant animals, which means they have a multi-compartment foregut and they can they they have they're able to better process what they're given, and so. For that reason, you know, you know, I think red meat tends to be a little bit more nutritious superiorly. And, you know, anybody that does this diet tends to naturally, for the most part, gravitate to red meat. And I think one of the things that it kind of, if you think about in our evolutionary past, if we looked at what early humans had available to them as far as hunting tools, it was largely spear-based technology. We didn't develop range weapons, you know, you know, other than throwing spears, but bow and arrow technology didn't occur until about uh, 60,000 years ago. Prior to that, we had a lot of big, slow moving animals that didn't run away that were full of lots of calories, you know, lots of, you know, protein and fat. And you could kill a large animal actually fairly easily. It's surprising how easily humans were able to kill things like elephants, mammoths, and mastodons. And so to consider how many chickens or little birds you'd have to kill to get the equivalent amount 
of meat and calories and nutrients. I mean, it's just, it's very difficult to kill a chicken with a spear, you know, when you're thinking about it. And, you know, so you just don't have the technology yet. And so I think we really evolved on these large mega herbivores, these ruminant animals. And I think that's what we're more better suited to. Interesting. That's a really good point. And I think that's something that not a lot of people bring up. You know, history is something that is very important. History is what has created the present and the future and learning the story behind why we eat what we eat and why we do what we do is something that's really important. So I love, I love that story. I love that perspective. And I want to kind of transition into the next topic about fasting. This is something that I've heard so much about. Um, it's something that I recently over the last two weeks have started to implement into my lifestyle and into my diet. Can you tell the audience why fasting is extremely healthy? Well, I think we can look at, you know, turn it around and say, why is eating constantly not healthy? You know, mm -hmm. and so one of the things we see is like, you know, and I, I don't know how you are. I'm, I'm about to turn 54. When I was a kid, I would come home from school. Hey, mom, I'm hungry. And the answer would always be wait to dinner wait till you get dinner. You know, you're going to spoil your appetite. And then that's how it was. You know, you wait, you got a little hungry, ate your dinner, you ate a whole bunch and you're fine. And you kind of ate three, three discrete meals. And then if we look back historic, again, historically, um, if you think about it, it's pretty clear we came from nomadic hunter gatherers and, and, you know, I would argue mostly hunting. Um, it probably wasn't practical to stop and eat every two hours. You know, you can, you imagine if, if you're in this group of, you know, 10, 12, 20, 20 humans walking around, you know, doing what you do and you've got to stop and eat every two to three hours. It's not very practical, particularly if you're cooking things, you got to build a fire. So it was probably pretty plausible that we, we ate fairly infrequently and we ate probably till we were full and, and we ate the type of foods that kept us full, which would have been, you know, high, high animal fat foods, which uh, are very good at satiation and, and keeping our appetite at bay for many, many hours. Um, we do know that there, you know, a lot of people like to talk about autophagy. This is this kind of a cellular turnover mechanism. You basically clear out the debris and the sort of the parts that aren't working at a cellular level and you replace it with new stuff. You recycle those materials. And so by not eating that encourages that. Now there's other ways to, to have that happen. Exercise, some of these other stressors can, can also do that. But the easiest thing is to you know, not eat for a while. It's what happens when we sleep. You know, when we, you know, generally when we're, we're, we're usually most of us are fasting when we sleep, unless we're getting up in the middle of the night to eat. And some people, some people, I guess, occasionally do that. But um, I think there's benefits to that for many people. Uh, the studies out there will show that, you know, when it, when it comes to weight loss, and, and again, weight loss isn't the only metric we need to look at, but when it comes to weight loss, if fasting, intermittent fasting, eating less frequently results in a less calories consumed, you're going to lose weight. That's clear. I mean, that's just one way to do it. And a lot of people find it's easier to do it that way. You know, once you start eating, you know, even a little bit, you have a little snack, it turns on, you know, you're, you're basically the physiology to start digesting. And so you, you start to, you know, go down this road of feed me more, feed me more. You can't just have a little, you know, tiny snack without becoming quite hungry typically. So I think there's a lot of benefits for that, you know, for people that are particularly metabolically, uh, challenge, you know, diabetics, pre-diabetics, people with insulin resistance, people with significant obesity, uh, gastrointestinal issues, a period of, of, of fasting, you know, even up to a few days can be, can be a benefit. Now there's people that will, uh, unfortunately, some people get carried away with that and it can be overdone. And I think that is a problem. And we see these people that are, 
chronically kind of stressed out from undernutrition from from trying to overfast occasionally. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is a good balance for someone like me, for example, who's training for a triathlon? I do about two workouts a, a day. Um, I'm a pretty lean guy, 30 years old. How do you recommend I fast? Well, I don't know that there's any real great benefit for you doing a quote unquote extended fasting. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit there and do three days or two days of fasting. I mean, I think maybe occasionally you do a one meal a day type type of thing again. And I think probably eating within an eating window might suit you. I mean, depending on your training schedule, now you remember you're doing things that are unusual to the average person. You know, if you're training twice a day and your goals are to do marathons and Spartan races, you know, you're going to have to make sure you're getting enough calories in. So that's going to be one of the challenges because, you know, if you're doing lots and lots of training, you know, you're, you're kind of burning the candles at both ends if you're not getting enough calories. in. so some people struggle with, you know, one or two meals a day because they can't take in enough calories. Now you can train that to where you're able to eat more at one time. I, I mean, I've sat down and eaten, and this sounds kind of crazy, but I've had eight pounds in one sitting before. And that was, I mean, that was pushing it. I mean, but I could comfortably sit there and eat four pounds of, you know, ribeye steak or something without any, any real difficulty. And I, I kind of, it took a while to get to that point though. And, and so, I mean, in your situation, you know, I would, you know, I would like, you know, you'd want to balance, you know, maybe the morning session is done fasted, you know, you might have a, you know, a, and then I don't know, a dinner, I don't know when you, what your training times are, but, you know, let's say you have a morning training session, it's done relatively fasted you know, have a late breakfast, early lunch, maybe eat later in the day, you know, or, or do another training session and do, do, do a final, final meal, you know, something like I'm a fan of eating last meals fairly early. You know, I try to get my last meal in by six today. I'll eat by about four thirty, and I'll be done for the day, but I've had three meals in that. I think I started today at around 10, I started eating and I'll be done by about 4 PM and I've gotten kind of three meals in that. And, and at this, and right now, actually, I'm actually training to put on weight. So or eating to put on weight, which is kind of, kind of a different strategy. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I like all of what you said. I think that's a really good idea. The two, three day fasts don't really suit me too well. And it's important to get my calories in. So planning my training around my window of eating is really important. So that's that. That is all great information, Sean. I, I really, really appreciate that for sure. Um, so, last thing that I, I wanted to talk to the audience about is just balanced nutrition. If if you had to tell a random audience member today how they could eat as healthy as possible in in a few short words, what would you tell them? Well, I would prioritize foods that have lots of nutrition, you know, and don't have empty calories. I mean, I think that's that's a pretty uh, safe thing to, to do. Um, you know, I think when we talk about balance, uh, I would say, you know, what would a balanced diet look like 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago? And so we have to say, you know, what we have today available to us. I mean, we have basically every food category from every part of the world available to us 365 days a year, you know, at least in the United States, we do in most places. And so that would have never, ever, ever been practical. And so some of the sort of dietary suggestions and guidelines to eat the rainbow and eat, you know, eat these various foods that don't even grow, you know, in the same, not, not even the same region, but even the same continent. Is that, would that have ever been plausible for humans? I mean, how many humans do you think could have eaten, you know, 
11 servings of grain and five servings of fruit and five servings of vegetables every day, 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 years ago, or, or even, you know, before refrigeration, you know, and, and mass transportation, even going back a few hundred years. So that's, it's just kind of how far away we've come from that. And, you know, it's not even, and that's just the whole foods that are available. Now we have so many processed foods, so many bars, you know, these things where um, I saw a, a recent study looking at, I guess it was a millennial generation and saying that they're not eating much breakfast cereal. And the reason was it's not because they thought breakfast cereal was unhealthy or anything. It was just too, too inconvenient. They had to actually clean a, a dish. You had to clean, you know, clean a bowl, clean a, clean a spoon. Well, that's us. So you'd rather open a package, throw it in the trash and just, you know, eat your little bar and be done with it. And so we've gotten so far away from, what it would have taken to eat, you know, I mean, you know, if you go back years ago, I mean, food preparation and eating and the act of a meal was a significant time commitment. And, you know, there may be some benefit to that. I can see where the convenience has gone away. The convenience factor is not, if you've got to cook a three, four course meal, it's not very convenient. You know, I mean, for you know, but for my part, I mean, I'll throw a steak on the grill. I mean, you know, it, it could be done in, you know, five minutes and I'm done. And, you know, there's minimal, middle effort, minimal time. And it's, it's very high quality nutrition. There's no, you know, artificial sweeteners. There's no preservatives, colorants, you know, bleaching agents, you know, all the, all the crazy things, sawdust, all the stuff they put in the foods right now is additives. So I think, you know, staying away from, staying away from, you know, anything that can stay in the grocery store for, you know, six months or more, uh, it's probably a good idea. So, I mean, not that everybody has to eat a meat-based diet. I think meat is, is a very, very vital part of the diet. I think red meat's included in that. But if you can stay there and use other foods that, you know, don't, you know, you, if you can sit on sit them on your counter and they last more than a week, it might be a problem. I love that advice. If it can sit on your counter for more than a week, it might be a problem. If it sits on the shelf for more than six months, it's probably not the first thing you should eat. Absolutely. Dude, honestly, wow, Sean, that very simple and very powerful. Everyone go to Instagram and follow Sean at Sean Baker 1967. That's S-H-A-W-N Baker 1967. Head over to Sean-Baker.com, meet RX and Amazon, the carnivore diet. Dr. Sean, thank you so much for your time today. And if there's anything I can do to support you, serve you, help you, push your mission, please let me know. Zach, appreciate it. Thanks. Good luck with your training. And uh, like I said, hopefully the audience enjoyed it. And like I said, I'm I'm pretty available. I make myself available every day, you know, over at MeetRx. I do a live meeting, not seven days a week at 9 a.m. Pacific, 365 days a year. So we're always interested to talk to folks. Awesome. All right, Dr. Sean, have a great night. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Zach. Bye-bye. Thanks.